Welcome to Paradise in the Pines, a podcast about the people, places, and stories that make this the home of American golf. Brought to you by the Pinehurst Southern Pines Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau. Again, everybody, and welcome to Paradise in the Pines. I'm Phil Wars, President and CEO of the Pioneer Southern Pines Aberdeen Area Convention and Visitors Bureau, and we are really honored today uh, to have Pat Corso with us. Uh, this gentleman needs no explanation. Your resume is so long it would take the entire show, uh, but it's great to see you, Pat. I know you're retired, and you're kind of jet jet setting around the world and between here, Michigan, Italy. But uh, great to see you. How you been? Hey, I've been great, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, enjoying retirement. Uh, miss seeing you, miss oh. seeing a lot of the folks we've we've uh, had the joy of being around for so long. But, uh, you know, you move on, and it's been great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know you're a big Chicago White Sox fan, too, so, uh, you know, I knew we'd be keeping up with that this summer. Game and a half out right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's awesome uh, to see you back in the Pinehurst area. And when you first got here, uh, I think about the New York Mets because it was 1986, and they won the World Series in 19. So you got here in 1986. What was Pinehurst like when you got here, and what did you know about the place when you first got here? Well, I'll, I'll start with that that part. I didn't really know Pinehurst very well. I knew it was a place that had a lot of golf courses. Uh, the company that had bought it in 1984, Club Corp, and Robert mm -hmm. Dedman, uh, really uh, were just beginning to try to restore it. Prior to that, as you may remember, it was a uh, consortium of 12 banks that owned it. Right. Uh, Diamond Head Corporation had basically failed and handed the keys back, and, and then they were appointed a receiver, Ed Coleman, who's still alive and lives in, lives in Pinehurst, and uh, his job was to try to find someone to buy those assets. And uh, Robert Edmund came along. He wanted to golf. Coleman said, uh, yeah, you're going to take the whole thing, the hotel right. too. He said, all right. And he bought it. And then uh, he, they were acquiring resorts at that time. So I was running a resort up in northern Michigan called Shus Mountain, Shanty Creek Shus Mountain mm -hmm. today. And uh, they transferred me here in 1986. And I became president in 1987. And at the time, it was just the beginning of renovations of what, of what the resort has become uh, today. It was pretty tough shape right. physically. You know, it was a tough shape uh, with the golf courses as well. It just, just, it took a lot of time and effort and, and money to put it back in order. And at that time, there were only about 1,800 people that lived in Pinehurst. Wow. Uh, today, what is there? 18,000, so, yeah, I think. Almost so 20,000. Yeah, they'll be double that by 2030. Yeah. And it's amazing to me, having been here that long, that when you look when you look at the community and the sense of place that it has, it hasn't changed. A lot of folks think there's too many people. I, I don't know. I don't think it's changed the character <laughs> of the place. We used to say that you could look at the village on aerial view of from the 1930s, and the only thing that would change would be the models of the cars. And that's about right. the truth. So that that's in many ways, yes. That 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 continues to make us uh, a very very unique uh, American a piece of Americana. When you look at Pinehurst Resort now, an, an absolute monolith, and, and we'll get into the where they are today and with the USGA, but when you got here, and I mean, it had to be an enormous challenge because it was not the Pinehurst Resort that we know today. Uh, what were the things that you got there and said, you know what, we need to do this, or working with Mr. Debman? I mean, there had to be a lot of moving parts to try and resurrect this historic resort to, to what it's become today. 
Well, again, it was physical improvements that needed to be made. The hotel, the Carolina, was in bad shape. Uh, there was the Porta Cachere that you see today didn't exist. The one that was there hmm. was neon, had a neon green sign that said <laughs> Pinehurst. And one day I walked into the office and it, it fell. It just fell off. Uh, the, the whole facade came down. Yeah. So you can imagine it was just uh, it wasn't a very grand experience at that time. Uh, the sidewalks that you have now that walk went all the way up to the hotel, those didn't exist. Mm-hmm. The rooms hadn't been renovated. Uh, and the golf courses, um, you know, there were seven courses. The number seven was under construction at that time, but they really weren't in very good shape. Number two was Bermuda Greens. Uh, they needed to be converted to, to Bent. Uh, we could get into that a little bit later, but yeah. it was, but it it, it was uh, it was just it was just a tough business model. It had, it had just um, well. Here's the good news. You couldn't make a mistake. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Only where to go but up, right? That's it. That's it. You couldn't. You could not. So a lot of us were. You know, I'm I'm new at that. I never had run a place like that before. Mm. We had Brad Coker, Beth Coker. Uh, we. Uh, Don Pageant, we brought him in as yeah. our director of golf, uh, which which really created a major change in going after major championship golf and the quality of the golf experience. But uh, it was uh, it was one of those things where we were all just trying hard and trying new ideas. And like anything, if you try ten things, two may work. Right. And that's and the two worked, and then they kept working. You got to sometimes you got to take risks. Uh, it, I worked at ESPN, and in every room, I talked. To, their credo basically was about taking risks, and that things may not work the way you want them to, but you keep trying until you get until you get it right. Well, that's exactly right, Phil. I mean, that's that's really what you do, uh, and it's not always you get a situation like that uh, where where you can do that. That's much harder today, right? Uh, but then you had nowhere to go but up, and uh, over time, I think it was. Uh, just kept building on 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 the changes and the new things and and the golf itself. You were quoted one time talking about history and uh, artifacts and how history is so important uh, and and it allows people to t- to tell your story when you walk through the hallways of Pinehurst and and you see all the artifacts there. How important when you got there to understand the history uh, where Pinehurst had been, where it was when you arrived, and and what the vision was going to be for the future. How much was was history a part of that? Well, that was a big key piece of it, actually. You had to resurrect the history. You had to bring it back uh, because it had been kind of forgotten about for, for a long time. A- important note here is that everybody looked at it, all the major companies, when it was with Diamond, when it was with the banks, no one wanted it. Hmm. And that, that's kind of amazing to hear that now, right. but no one wanted it. It was one of those places like many resorts in the country, old resorts, family resorts, have fallen on hard times and was basically – just about gone. Hmm. Uh, French Lick, Indiana was that way. It's since been resurrected lately, but, but, uh, there were others and, uh, we were one of those that just no one thought it could be restored. So the history of it, uh, storytelling, you know, how important storytelling yeah. is. Uh, and, uh, today I look at what they've done in terms of continuing that, but in the beginning and, and done a wonderful job and it really is fabulous storytelling. We had to start from scratch and we got the idea from, I, actually from a place in northern Michigan called the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. Mm, yeah. They did fabulous storytelling in yeah. the hallways. Uh, 
today I think they charge twenty five dollars for somebody to come in oh, and really? take a look at them. <laughs> but don't, but uh, don't give any ideas. No, no, here. no, they won't yeah. do that here. But but it was it, it was it, the idea, like like you and I've discussed. Every you know the best ideas are somebody else's. You just right. implement them yourself. And, right. And that was one we did. And what was amazing is that you you could tell and see the impact because people that lived in Pinehurst or or members would bring their friends in, walk them down the hallway, show them the pictures. Uh, the main club in 1991, when we redid that, storytelling there again, put mm-hmm. up all the plaques and all the pictures of the greats, including the celebrating the North and South. Uh, all that again, and you see it today. They stop in the hallway and they take a look. So storytelling and people telling the story of Pinehurst became really a, a tremendous impetus to the to the growth and the resurrection of the of the asset in terms of its promise as a, as a business entity and its promise as a, a historic site. You mentioned hiring Padge as director of golf. Uh, obviously, he had huge contributions as well, but how important was it uh, to recognize that returning championship golf back to Piners Resort was, was a key factor in, in bringing back success? Well, you know, back then everybody talked about it, but nobody was doing anything. You know, it was it was really kind of a uh, wasn't a focused effort to to do that to bring championship major championship play back. We had lost our golf professional, our head director of golf, and uh, we we needed to find someone else. I called Don Pageant too, who I knew in Firestone, and and he was running Firestone. I said, Don, do you have any interest in this? Would you like to come down and be the director of golf? And he said. Pat, I'm really happy as the general manager of Firestone. I, I, I've been here a long time, and I like it a lot. And uh, No, I really don't. But he said, have you talked to my dad? Now, his dad grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I'd always heard of his dad when I was a kid. Uh, he was, a, he was a, just a big name in, in golf in Indiana. And I said, no. I said, I thought he was dead. He said, no, he's not dead. He's out in Arizona <laughs> with Mark, with uh, Joe Black and Mark Kazar out of Desert Highland, Desert Mountain. And we family wants to get him back on the East Coast. Would you talk to him? I said, well, sure. So I called Padge and said, would you come talk to us? He said, yeah, I'll come. So he came over. This was March of 1987. And uh, Padge, I think, was 64 at the time. Hmm. And uh, he said, well, Pat, what do you want me to do? I said, well, two things. One, bring major championship golf back to Pinehurst. And two, mentor our young golf professionals. And he looked at me and he said, I think I can do that. <laughs> and, and, and the rest uh, is history. Well, and it began a journey. You know, it was a <clears throat> journey. You know, at the beginning, we were staying in pretty lousy hotels. Uh, he was dragging me to, these, to the Opens, to the Senior Opens, uh, to the PGA events and so forth, just to meet people. Yeah. And he'd stand there and talk to these guys who all knew him, and I'd stand there with him. He'd introduce me. And uh, they would say, well, Padge, how are things in Pinehurst? He said, well, they're getting better. They're getting better. And so the guy would walk away, and I'd say to Padge, uh, I remember this distinctly. I, I, I said, uh, why, why can't? Why do you say it's just okay? Why? He says, Patrick, because it is. <laughs> you know, it's just okay. When it's good, I'll tell him it's good. Yeah. And so his credibility you know, was, was in place with all those folks. So when he finally did say we were there, we were, that we were worthy, uh, they took that at face value. And I remember the key event no one talks about 
to me, uh, were two key events. One was the uh, the uh, uh, the Club Pro Championship, which was all the club professionals that came there, mm-hmm. and there were 350 of them that came. That generation had never had seen Pinehurst. And then we had in '89 the women's the women's uh, amateur. That was our introduction to hmm. the USGA. Okay. That was already on the books when we got there, but uh, uh, that's where we met David Fay, hmm. where I met him, uh, where they met Padge, and this relationship started to, to uh, Grant Spath was the president of the USGA, so this relationship began. Prior to that, the USGA didn't really think that. Uh, Golf in the South, major play in the South was going to work. Yeah, uh, Atlanta in 75 or 6, where they could throw jarts at the greens because uh, they just plugged. It was just the weather conditions for the kind of grass we had just wasn't conducive to major championship play. Even P.J. Boatwright, uh, the famous P.J. Boatwright, said, uh, never going to have anything mm-hmm. here. Well, that that that's what we were up against was that. And, and uh, so – we had a fairly successful women's amateur, and then came Be- Dean Beeman. He called Padge in 1990, and he said, Padge, I'd like to bring the Tour Championship to Pinehurst. And uh, he said it cost you about a half a million dollars, and we want to do it in the beginning of October. Padge came to me and said, Patrick, here's what it is. What do you want to do? I said, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know? And he said, I don't think we should take it. You know, we shouldn't pay any money, and we shouldn't, uh, and it's, it's high season. Yeah. Okay. Beeman calls him back. He says, Padge, I'll tell you what, we're, we're, we'll pass on the fee, no fee, but we got to come beginning of October. Huh. And Padge came to me. He said, what do you think? I said, what do you think? He said, I don't think we should do it. I said, huh. okay, we won't do it. Beeman calls him back, and he said, Padge, when can we come? <laughs> and Badge, so Badge and I talked about it, and they came Halloween. That was when we had huh. the first tour championship was over Halloween. Okay. And that was a big thing for Piners. Remember Jack Whitaker, the ABC broadcast yeah. a championship, and Whitaker, I can't I can't say specifically what he said, but he but he said on national television at the end of the event that the tour championship was better because they had come to Pinehurst, wow. and Pinehurst was better because it had the event. Hmm. And, and it was true. And then we had it again in 1992. Azinger won that one. And, uh, and, then, and then we had to make the decision, are we going to keep playing ball with the tour, or are we going to kind of change the game and, and get closer with, to the USGA? Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other story. Yeah. And so, well, let's just cut right to 1999. I mean, the USGA obviously uh, awards you a U.S. Open uh, which, you know, you couldn't have written a better Hollywood script to have Payne Stewart win that. And it's amazing. It's going to be 25 years when we have the 24 U.S. Open here at Piners number 2. But talk about leading up to and acquiring the 99 Open and then, you know, after the aftermath of that, what, what that meant to the resort. Well, I remember clearly we, we made a presentation to the championship committee at Pebble Beach in 1992. Page and I am Brad Coker. And I remember uh, Reg Murphy, his wife, became the president of the USGA just a few years ago. Mm. But Reg Murphy, who was the editor of National Geographic magazine from Atlanta, was the chair of that committee. And there was a debate inside. There was a fellow from Colorado who wanted the event to go to Colorado. 
and we're like flies on the wall listening to this debate <laughs> and argument going on. And we're just there to tell them about number two, what we could do to make it to make it a championship venue. And uh, Reg Murphy looked at the guy. His name was Mast. I forget his first name. His last name was Mastelier. And he looked at him and he said, I hear you, but we're done talking about it. This event's going south. Hmm. And so in 92, uh, that was kind of the... The beginning of the of, of the discussion, we had to we had to uh, figure out what to do about the greens because the greens, I mean, this is hard to imagine, but we converted the greens from Bermuda to bent to bent grass, mm-hmm. and at that time, uh, we we had a we actually got in a a mutated sod. We sodded the greens. Nicholas did it, but we sodded the greens and we sodded them with uh, Rihosa sod out of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania and it was mutated and which meant that it cooked in the summer. It got so bad. We had to close number two for eight weeks every mm-hmm. summer because it was soup. Yeah. The greens just turned into soup. And so we had to, we had to make a dramatic change. USGA knew that. And, and we were going to, uh, and the timing is a little bit different here because we got the event in, in 1994. That's when that happened. I went to Baltus for all. They gave us the event for 99. And, uh, but with the caveat that, that the greens would have to be addressed. Right. So we were already in the planning stage for number eight. And David Fay and I discussed it, and, and he said, I'll tell you, tell you what. You're going to put G2, a bent grass variety, on number eight. If it works, you need to put it on number two, and we'll play it on that. Mm-hmm. And he said, but you got to promise me if it doesn't work, you know, that we'll redo the greens to Bermuda. We'll play it on Bermuda. We don't want to, but we will. Right. And that was a different Bermuda grass then, not, not champion. It wasn't what it is today. We said, okay. But it wouldn't have been the best surface. It just wouldn't have been. But the G2 worked. And that was a deal with us and the USGA was really can you, can you do the conversion? And by the way, the USGA had never done an event in the middle of nowhere before. And so uh, the risk for the event had was on our shoulders. It's not like it is today. We ran the event like Pebble used to. Mm-hmm. So we had to create a whole team of people, Tom Pashley being one of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had a, the President's Council and Jim Heiler, who was with First, with, uh, First Citizens. We had, to, we had to create a corporate, a corporate family to help support the event because uh, they supplied USGA supplied the players and all the costs were ours. We didn't get any TV revenue, but we could keep mm. the revenue from the, from the uh, corporate sales and the ticket sales. That okay. was us. Yeah. So we had to do all that, which, you know, again, they don't do that today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we hired uh, John Wagner, who used to be a, who was a, a uh, the a front guy for the tour that really was the one who did all the sales. And we set a goal. If we could break even at 35 tenths, that was going to be great. <laughs> we sold 50, the most they'd ever sold. But it was a key piece of that was the President's Council and having corporate leadership from all over North Carolina commit to be engaged in this event. So that began this partnership with the state, with, with, with Charlotte, with Raleigh, and the Triangle that really boosted our opportunity to to put on an event like that and it was uh again as i look back at it uh 99 was 
there was nothing ever better than that. Right. I mean, no offense to what's happened since. Sure. It's all wonderful. But, but Payne Stewart winning the last day of the event with, 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 uh, with Stewart and, uh, Nick uh, Mickelson mm-hmm. and Woods all vying for the opportunity uh, to be there was magical. Yeah. And it, it just, it just set the stage for what happened at, uh, Pinehurst going forward. Uh, Obviously, congratulations again on an amazing accomplishment. I mean, it really changed the the course of history for Pinehurst Resort, no question. Uh, I know Tom Pashley speaks to it very eloquently. And you stepped down in 2004. And and Tom, you know, can you talk about Tom Pashley and his leadership? Um, you know, he's he, you were on our CVB board, and, and Tom is our current chairman. Uh, you know, he is and Mr. Debman, of course. Uh, but talk about Tom. And uh, passing the baton from him to Tom and what he's been able to accomplish leading up to, and we'll discuss the, the whole thing with the USGA and what they're planning on doing here in Piners. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing what's happened in terms of Piners leadership. And the Debman family has done something that you don't see very often. There's an incredible continuity of leadership there. Uh, when you look at, from my tenure, I handed it off to Padge too who was a man of golf in his own way. He led the – Padge is such a great player. Mm-hmm. He, he led the U.S. Open for three days in uh, back in the, the 70s. And here he was coming from Firestone to be the to, – to run Piner. So he, he built upon what his dad and what, what, what we, our team, had done. And then came Tom. Now, Tom was interesting because I got a call one day from Rod Myers, who was the golf coach up at uh, Duke. And he said, Pat, I got a guy here that's our assistant golf coach. He, and he says he wants to be in the resort business. And I said, well, what's his major? He said, well, he's, he's, he's getting his master's in marketing, and he's got an offer from Eli Lilly. Hmm. Uh, I said, you sure he wants to come down and talk to me? <laughs> he said, he does. Will you talk to him? I said, well, yeah. And we were starting a management training program. So Tom came down. And I painted about the bleakest, darkest picture I possibly could because hospitality, as you know, is not easy. Right. It's a huge commitment. Mm-hmm. Sundays or Tuesdays. Holidays. I mean, you know, yes, holidays. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. it's just a different lifestyle. Oh, yeah. And so I painted this picture for him, and he, it, it didn't shake him. I mean, he was, he, 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 he was committed. I said, well, you're going to – here's the training program. You're going to start out watching dishes because if you, mm. you need to understand those folks – you need to be able to get along with them because you have to lead them, and you can't lead them if you don't have a relationship with them. Mm. And then you're going to go to golf maintenance, and you're going to go to housekeeping, and you're going to – didn't shake him. Huh. Said, yeah, okay, That's not, that sounds great. And I said, well, here's the one thing I don't want to happen. I don't want to get a phone call from your father saying, what did you do to my son <laughs> to convince him to do what he's doing? Because he's turning down a darn good job with Eli Liddy yeah. to come work for you for not much money. And he said, I'll, he'll never call you. I said, okay. So we hired Tom. And Tom went through all the training program. He, he worked in every department. And then we, he was a great fit in championship management. And that's where he met so many of the key leaders in North Carolina. That's why he's so incredibly valuable. One of the reasons why he's incredibly valuable to the resort is because he has a, he's a 27-year repository of relationships mm-hmm. that were built over, over that time. So uh, he, is, he is, again, a perfect handoff, uh, uh, 
from a continuity standpoint. I think he's been there 27 years. Yeah. And he's been running it for what, eight or nine, or mm-hmm. I'm not sure yeah, how around many. Around that time, yeah. So I ran it for 17, Padge ran it for 10, and now comes Tom. But it's continuity. Mm-hmm. It's not, not that any of us was extraordinarily brilliant, but what we were is continuity in an environment with, with uh, the same ownership by the same family. Right. That is rare. Continuity, consistency. It's like Steelers head coaches. They've only had three just <laughs> so many years because they got the formula down. It's the tradition and, uh, and, and the knowledge of, yeah. of how to do the job. Um, let's talk about, let's fast forward to the USGA's decision uh, a couple years ago, almost to the day uh, as we tape this, uh, to decide to build a second headquarters in Piners, Golf House Piners, World Golf Hall of Fame most recently announced coming back. What is the impact of that going to be? We've heard $2 billion over the course of time till the next or the final U.S. Open in 2047 of the ones we'll have 24, 29, 35, 41, 47. Uh, Tom's impressed that I committed those to memory. But what is the impact of, of that decision uh, and having Mike Wan at the helm to, to lead this charge and, and what the USJ is going to do here? Well, it, it, I, I can't find the correct term. But it's a culmination. Uh, Pinehurst is now cemented as um, there is nothing like it. it it's the pinnacle mm. with this decision they made. I, I'm an RNA member. Yep. Uh, and you know what that means over there. The RNA is the institution that handles the rules of golf for the wor- world outside of uh, the USGA's world. And they, they are sit, sit atop the 18th hole at the old course in a community that lives, breathes, eats, sleeps, golf. What just happened? Same thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the triumvirate of great golf and a golf resort, along with the rules-making body, and a community that eats, sleeps, and breathes golf has now been duplicated. It's a combination that is unparalleled except for the USJ. So in the world, in the world, there are, in, in the world of golf, there are two. And one is in Scotland and one's in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And, but I have to say, uh, Phil, the journey to get there that began with David Fay and Grant Spaeth back in 1987, mm-hmm. that as time went on, the continuity of the USGA, because remember David Fay, who is a good is a good friend of mine, handed off the baton to Mike Davis, and now Mike Davis has handed off the baton, and all of us knew all those guys very well. The Pinehurst Championship Management Team, guess where they are? They all work for the USGA. Mm-hmm. Right, Reg Jones, Robbie Zelznick, all those guys work for the USGA. Uh, Janine Driscoll, right, and she was our head of head of external public relations for the resort. So th- that's how close this relationship is with the USGA. It's not happenstance. It's not a deal making thing. It is a it, it's an integration of personalities and attitudes and beliefs uh, about the game of golf uh, that have melded over time into a decision. Uh, to locate the second headquarters here. And, and I'll tell you, I go back to the second open in, in uh, 05. 
David Fay called me shortly after the 99 open and said, I got a question for you. He said, can you guys take the 05 open? I said, what? <laughs> I said, we just finished. This right. <laughs> said, well, we've got some things going on in USGA, and we really, you are the one, you're, you, meaning Pinehurst, is the one place that can pull this off that fast. That was coming back uh, to Pinehurst within six years, which hadn't been done since uh, I think it was Chanticleer in 1945 right. or 46. So, so for them to say that to us, and ask us to do that, um, really again put us in a, in a in a in another great position in terms of relationships with the USGA. And uh, so, to me, the decision for a golf for uh, for the, the golf house uh, is. Uh, culmination it is everything that went on before all the relationships past and present have all culminated in this extraordinary extraordinary opportunity and uh you know a lot a lot of folks will take credit for it and they should because it was a lot of a lot of engagement by a lot of people the state the politicians tom mcginnis uh, jimmy bowles um you know, it, it was a combination of relationships that helped make all this happen. But I, I got to tell you, Phil, I just, I, if, if, if just nothing will ever happen uh, that will, that when the stories are told uh, uh, in the future, I think, this is the capstone, this is the culmination of the, uh, what everybody calls the golden age of Pinehurst, how many yeah. have there been, uh, we've arrived. Yeah, no question. Well said. Uh, great story. Um, aside from Piner's Resort, uh, you've had so many roles. We can go through everything you've done, uh, your accomplishments. Uh, they are numerous, uh, but most notably and most recently, you were executive director of Partners in Progress, the economic, economic development arm for Moore County, which Natalie Dean Hawkins has uh, stepped in and uh, is doing a great job. And you can certainly comment on that. But um, during your time there, um, in trying to lead the economic development charge, you formed what's called a golf cluster. And so what Jamie Ledford with Golf Pride, Tom Pashley, Kelly Miller, uh, Chris Vondercall from U.S. Kids. Talk about the, the business environment of golf uh, and where we're trying to lead this destination when it comes to attracting more businesses to either start their business here or to relocate to the Pinehurst area. Well, I think this will help answer the question you really asked me earlier <laughs> that I went off on another another <laughs> direction. But, but what does this mean in terms of the uh, the impact, uh, the economic impact of, of what's happening in terms of the the opens and the and the opportunities that are presented by the USGA having uh, their headquarters, their their second headquarters here? Well, I think the key to it is going to be uh, their testing center. I mean, that's that's a big piece of the opportunity. We have an agreement with them that they will introduce us, Partners in Progress, uh, Natalie, to every company that comes in for testing. So we see pioneers like uh, Jamie Ledford and the commitment that he made. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. It, so this golf cluster concept is really to hopefully the – create an opportunity where the home of golf is also the home of uh, major manufacturers in, in, in the golf industry. Now, by manufacturers, I don't mean they'll make things here. They may make some. The niche companies could. Right. But 
uh, the, where, where they have actually the research and development and corporate opportunities here. That's the kind of thing that's a hand in the glove for, uh, for, this, for our community, is if, we can, if, that, if that can happen. So the introductions have been made. There are companies here already, uh, and I think that uh, uh, Natalie's going to have her hands full uh, <laughs> with, with uh, opportunities right. uh, uh, to, bring, uh, to bring these companies here as we go forward with the, with the uh, testing center and, and the, the whole environment of, of uh, so many of those companies coming here and seeing what's here and wanting to be, want to be here. It's a great environment for it, uh, for sure. Uh, well, now you're retired. I'm sure you're playing some golf. I remember we played a couple of years ago in your Partners in Progress golf tournament, and at the end of that event, you were awarded the, the highest honor in the state of North Carolina, the Order of the Longleaf Pine. What was it like that day? I remember you're a very proud gentleman, and you come from a, a great history, an Italian family, and you talked about your dad and how much that meant to you. Uh, talk about how much it meant to win that award, um, and is it, the greatest honor you've ever received. Uh, well, th thanks for mentioning it. It it, it is because it's. I mean, that's that's an award that you don't seek. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski just got it. Yeah. Uh, that last week. You know, it's 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 something. Uh, when when the state of North Carolina says to you that that your career or your efforts have impacted the state of North Carolina in a significant way. Um, that's a pretty humbling thing mm -hmm. uh, to hear from uh, uh, from 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 the governor, from uh, Chris Chung, who was the yeah. head of uh, head of uh, sales and marketing for the state. Uh, that was that was pretty impressive. My my great grandfather received the sim a similar order uh, from uh, recognition from the state of Indiana, and that's the uh, the uh, the uh, Sagamore of the Wabash, it's called. <laughs> and I knew he'd he'd received it, but I, so it was it, it was it was uh, quite a thing for me. But you know, I I, what's the old saying? You know, you, uh, North Carolinian by birth or North Carolinian by choice. Mm -hmm. I'm a North Carolinian by choice, and and uh, my my family. It's this this state has been so good to me and to my family. Um, that uh, it, it's emotion, it's, it holds an emotional place in our hearts, uh, even though we have a cottage in Michigan where we go back to in the summer. Uh, this is home and always will be. And, and as we start to wrap up uh, this podcast, we could go on. I mean, we barely touched the surface of of your accomplishments, and, and we could go on and on. And, and we haven't even talked about your golf game. But uh, what <laughs> what is Pat Course? I'm sure you're still dabbling in some business, but but what are you doing now besides traveling, playing some golf? You're still a little doing a little consulting. Um, I guess specifically, the last question I want to ask you is. Where do you see this destination going from an overall tourism perspective? So we talk about here at the CVB, we know golf is king. It's our, it's in our DNA, but we also need to be more than just golf and diversify. And you see so many things going on with uh, short-term rental discussions and, you know, how do we balance growth versus restoring our, you know, maintaining our history and the quaintness and the charm of what this destination holds. What do you see for the future as we get into you know, 2029, 20, 20, the next 10 years where this place is going to double, roads are going to be expanded. How do we, you know, grow in such a, a way that people are still endeared to this destination? Well, it's a challenge, Phil. 
and I think it is because I think the efforts you're making, the CVB is, is, is doing in terms of promoting all the assets of the community are really stellar. Uh, we look at the breweries that are here. We look at the retail that's grown. We look at and, and unique retail. Uh, when, when, when we look at the programs like the passport program and other things that, that benefit all the other kinds of business businesses here, uh, you're doing a great job. And I, that, oh, thank mean, you. that means we're going to get more people coming. And that means we're going to have more people wanting to live here. It's just that simple. The challenge we have is that we're, we're a bit fractioned. Um, we never have gotten over the parochialism, in my opinion. Uh, we, the good news is we have three wonderful, unique, and historic towns. Right. The bad news is we have three unique, valuable, <laughs> and historic towns. We really are one community with three neighborhoods. And ultimately, ultimately, those, those, those communities have to learn to work together to achieve infrastructure that benefits them all that, uh, and uh, includes transportation um, and, and, and overall infrastructure. Uh, and really, really focus on the, the cause and effect. Uh, each town feels that is looking at what happens inside their boundaries as being issues and threats. The real threats are external. Mm. And so the question is, can they? Can we figure out a way to recognize that and to and to face that challenge and come up with a way to deal with it? There is a, a tri-city group that we help create that that does that works on those kind of joint issues, but. It's going to become more and more important as every day goes by as, as we begin to reach the fulfillment of what you just said in terms of this community being right. large and uh, hopefully uh, as nice as it always was. Well, we certainly appreciate all your contributions, your insights, your perspective, your opinion. Uh, you've been a great friend. You've been a mentor. Uh, you're always welcome, as you know, uh, to the Convention and Visitors Bureau, to this podcast, uh, to this destination. We appreciate everything you've done. And uh, thanks for taking time out before you jet off to Italy and, and enjoy some, uh, some good wine and some great food, I'm sure. I'm looking forward to it, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks, Pat. Well, yeah, thanks again to Pat Corso. If you want to learn more about the destination, go to homeofgolf.com. If you want to watch this vodcast, you can go to our YouTube channel at Home of American Golf. If you want to download this podcast, just go to your favorite podcatcher. I like Spotify, uh, and you can check out this podcast and the rest of the Paradise in the Pines podcast series. For Pat Corso, I'm Phil Wurz. We'll see you next time in Paradise in the Pines. That was awesome. Thank you very much.